We've all heard the conversation starter question, if you had three wishes, what would you wish for? It's a great question, isn't it? Because it usually tells us a lot about the person answering it, where their priorities lie, what they hope for in life, and where their heart really is. John Piper said, the true dimensions of a soul are seen in its delights. Not what we dutifully will, but what we passionately want reveals our excellence or evil. The obvious question that confronts us from our reading today of Solomon's encounter with God in 1 Kings chapter 3 is what would be the one thing you would ask God for? And you don't get three wishes this time, it all comes down to the one thing that you ultimately desire. Now Solomon, if you don't know, was King David's son. He was the one appointed by God to rule after King David over the kingdom of Israel. We are told that Solomon's kingdom was the high point of the history of Israel, a time of fulfillment when the promises of God were realized more fully than at any other point in the Old Testament. Think about back to Abraham when God promised to make a nation of his descendants, a nation that would bring God's blessing to the world. Think about Moses, who saw the rescue of God's oppressed people and God's promise to bring them to a land of peace, a land of security and safety, to the promised land. Think about the struggles, the violence, the wars and the heartache that God's people and their judges and leaders and prophets went through to get to this point, for later generations to get to this point, of rest, of being able to be secure in the land without fear or threat. It's Solomon's kingdom that enjoys this glory. But can you imagine the pressure? Can you feel the immense burden of responsibility if you were in Solomon's shoes. So here is Solomon at the start of his reign with no experience in battle and very little experience as a leader and this great task and responsibility before him. And Solomon starts out beautifully. In verse 3 we read that Solomon loved the Lord. Surprisingly this isn't said in, in these exact words of anyone else in the Old Testament up to this point. Solomon is the first. The Hebrew word for love here means love with affection and desire in the context of a close and intimate relationship. Love with affection and desire. And interestingly, it's the same word for love that's used uh, in God's greatest commandment back in Deuteronomy chapter 6 verse 3 which says love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. Isn't that fascinating? Now keep in mind that Solomon was David and Bathsheba's second son after their first child died in infancy. I don't have time to go into it but Solomon was shrouded in God's grace and love right from the start, conceived by 
repentant parents who knew the depths of God's forgiveness and grace and born into the affirmation and assurance of God's love for him. So Solomon's love for God began with God's love for him. As soon as Solomon was born, it says in 2 Samuel 12, it says that the Lord loved him and gave him the name Jedidiah, which means loved by the Lord. And again, that's the same Hebrew word for love that we're talking about. That Solomon loved God as God loved him affectionately and with desire. It wasn't just one way, it was reciprocal, it was a synergy of love. So coming back to our text in 1 Kings 3, we also read that on either side of Solomon's encounter with God in the dream are two occasions of extravagant and costly worship where he offers up over a thousand burnt offerings. So it's in this context of affectionate and devoted love and worship that God appears to Solomon in a dream and asks him or invites him to ask God of anything. And what does Solomon ask for? He asks for a discerning heart or literally a hearing or listening heart to discern between right and wrong, and so to govern God's people well. He doesn't ask for wealth or honour or power. He doesn't ask for a great mind or for the realisation of his full potential. But he asks for a listening heart. And I think Solomon's request revealed his grasp of the fundamental reality behind all things that God is there and that he's not silent. Solomon knew that God's word created and upholds the universe and now brings order to a chaotic world. And he knew that he needed to hear God's word deeply in his heart, in the center of his being. And his request also speaks of his dependence on God and his understanding of his enormous need. He says, I'm only a little child amongst God's great chosen people. What a humble way of expressing this dependence and his own limitations in light of the task before him. Solomon acknowledges that his rule and his own significance in history is enabled by and dependent on the hand of God. So God affirms Solomon's request. God calls it wisdom and grants it to him. And what I want us to see in this section is the relationship between wisdom and worship. Solomon's wisdom was born in the presence of God for the purposes of God and was tethered to the love of God. His wisdom started out embedded in worship. But sadly, Solomon's glorious relationship with God and his wisdom seems to fade. After the fame of his wisdom spreading throughout the world and thousands of proverbs written by his hand, the Bible tells us in 1 Kings 11 that after time, 
Solomon's heart didn't stay true to God. It says his heart was turned away by his multiple wives, such that he even facilitated the worship of idols by other people, and even participated in the worship of idols himself. I find it interesting that in contrast to the 1,000 burnt offerings he made before receiving the gift of wisdom, here we see 1,000 wives eroding his wisdom. Whereas once his wisdom was tethered in God's love, his wisdom became untethered by disordered loves. How tragic that even with such wisdom and with such a beautiful relationship with God at the start of his reign as king, he didn't keep his heart tethered to God. How tragic that he stopped listening to God and depending on God, the one who was the source of his wisdom. How tragic that his legacy wasn't one like his father's as a man after God's own heart, but actually his legacy was one of sowing seeds of discontent that would later lead to the division of his glorious kingdom, the division of God's people. How tragic that Solomon lost his first love. And this forces me to ask the question, if wisdom, as we've been talking about and um, thinking about throughout this whole series, and as Jerome you know, emphasised again last week, if wisdom is such a great and precious gift, a gift that we should search out and hold on to, a gift that ought to rightly order our affections and desires and our loves, a gift that would change our lives, how could someone who had it lose it? So I want us to notice a few things about wisdom from Solomon's life. Firstly, wisdom on its own isn't enough to keep us from the lure of pleasures that disorder our affections and loves. In other words, wisdom doesn't make us immune from temptation and sin. Secondly, Solomon's wisdom faded because it became detached from listening to and depending on God's words. We should ask the question, where are the prophets in Solomon's life? Did Solomon think his wisdom was sufficient enough to not need prayerful men and women to speak God's words into his life? I think Solomon became self-sufficient instead of remaining dependent on God's words and he ended up losing sight of God himself. And thirdly, I think Solomon's wisdom was only as valuable as his worship. Do we see Solomon maintaining and growing the affectionate and loving synergy that he had with God? Do we see him developing um, that sort of relationship that he had with God at the start all the way through his reign, his reign in his life? Do we see his heart desiring and pursuing more of God? Well, no, not really. I think we can see that Solomon lacked the rhythms of worship 
and the spiritual practices that would have held him in affectionate intimacy with God. These would have safeguarded him from the lures of temporary pleasures and kept his delight in God alive. You see, wisdom must serve our worship. And if wisdom doesn't serve our worship of God, then actually it's worthless. So is there a higher kind of wisdom than Solomon's? I think there is. I think wisdom is to want to know God. Anything that detracts or erodes that desire will ultimately erode any wisdom that we have. If anything, what we learn from Solomon's life is that if there's one thing you should ask God for, it's to desire to know God himself. And this is what Jesus prayed for his followers in the Garden of Gethsemane before he went to the cross. He prayed in John 17, 3, Father, this is eternal life, that they may know you, the one true God and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. This was also the Apostle Paul's prayer for the Ephesian church. In chapter 117 of Ephesians, he, said, he prayed, I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. The highest form of wisdom is knowing God himself. Yes, we need wisdom for living rightly and for doing God's work, but even more important than these things is that we need wisdom to know God. This is the higher wisdom. Let me share with you a very recent journey that I have had in um, wrestling with this. Uh, many of you might know that Jerome and I are hoping to buy our first home. It's something that's been taking up a lot of our time and emotional energy in these past months. Wanting to be settled somewhere in the hills is something that is a very big desire of ours. Last week, we actually heard from the bank that the amount that we could loan was um, quite a bit less than what they had originally told us. And it was a big blow. It was like being gutted emotionally. And you know what I wanted to do, though? I, I wanted to clutch to my dream. I wanted to clutch at any house that could still be a possibility and just jump on it quick. But I also knew that I just needed to bring my disappointment to God and bring the sense of loss that I was feeling to God. I knew that I just needed to listen for his word. And he spoke. But the words were hard to receive. His words meant trusting my desire to his timing. His words meant letting go of what I thought I really wanted what we as a family have been working towards for so long and letting go to the point where his love was enough, where I realised again that his affection was actually 
all that I really needed and would ever fully really want. Wisdom forces us to face the difficult question of where do our affections actually lie and what do we ultimately really want. And we fall short of loving God with all our heart and all our soul and all our strength every day. But amazingly, our love for God doesn't start with us. It starts with the one king, the one greater than Solomon, who embodies wisdom perfectly. It starts with Jesus. It starts with receiving his love first. It starts with basking in his affection for you. Think about the work of Jesus' wisdom in your life. Think about his wisdom in choosing you before the foundations of the world. His wisdom in forming you from microscopic cells into the person that you are today. His wisdom in dying for you while you were still a sinner. His wisdom in saving you, knowing every way that you'd fail and fall and hurt him and others. His wisdom in rescue, rescuing you out of a pattern of sin and shame and freeing you to love him and to be pure before him. His wisdom in interceding for you right now and sanctifying you as he prepares you for heaven to be with him face to face. The wisdom of Jesus to draw you into himself. The wisdom of Jesus to dwell in you by his Holy Spirit. And think about how every single act of his wisdom in your life is saturated with his affection and his desire for you. As we end this series, how fitting that wisdom leads us back to love. To Jesus love because wisdom is embedded in love in the synergy of God's love for us and our love for him without this love our wisdom is worthless so what do you really want and how does your life show that May you learn to bask in his affection and so to desire only ever more of him. Bless you.